When a Christian acts like a pagan, what are Christians to do? Christ is supposed to be able to change character, but often his followers act like the devil. How should we respond? This is Truth Encounter, and today's study takes us to Galatians 6, 1-10, where the Apostle Paul teaches us a lot about setting spiritual broken bones. I want you to picture a, um, a singles group. They're up in Colorado. Uh, it's at maybe a church from North Dallas or maybe from right here in Midlothian. A bunch of singles go up, and they're trying to get some togetherness. And uh, early in the morning, they say, hey, you know, let's go on a hike up in the Big Peak region. In fact, they had to decide the night before because in Colorado, you need to leave about 5 o'clock in the morning so you can get up high and get down low before the big thunderstorms roll in. As they're hiking up a trail, I'm sure a bunch of you have faced this in your own hiking uh, experience. It's Steve, who's an accountant from North Dallas. All day long, he's lagging behind. Have you ever noticed that when you go on a hike, somebody always lags behind? You know, the group all starts out together, and someone's charging ahead, but there's always someone that lags behind, and every single significant turn in the path, they have to turn around, and somebody has to say, Steve, and make sure he's with them, make sure he doesn't make the wrong turn so he doesn't end up by himself in bear country and get, get slaughtered by the bears. So they're all taking care of Steve. As they get to the top of the mountain, as they start coming back, you know, it's always much easier coming back than it is going up, although it's harder on your legs because the path is so steep. And it started to rain about 1 o'clock, so they take off running down the mountain. But sure enough, as they're running in the rain, they come to another key juncture in the road. And they look back, and Steve's nowhere to be found. Man, Brad said, forget it, man. I've got an appointment at 3 o'clock. That guy has been out of it all day long. Just forget it. I'm headed on. So Steve blasts along ahead. You know, he just takes off. One of the group decides, no, and we can't do that. And uh, Brad decides he's going to go back and he's going to take care of him. I said, I'll take care of him. And the rest of the group is grumbling like crazy. But they, 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 Brad goes back to try to find Steve. He's nowhere to be found. Suddenly they hear, hey, hurry up, get up here. Steve is hurt. So all the group suddenly mobilizes. They run back, and there they find Steve with a broken leg along the side of the path. He had slipped on uh, jumping off this boulder that was in the path, and he fell about six feet, smashed his leg up. And Bill said, man, I just read, you know, an outdoor world, man. I know how to handle it. He grabs the whole thing. Ah, my leg's killing me. You know, he doesn't know anything about setting a fixed bone. So Beverly, who's an ER nurse, pushes Bill away. And she says, Steve, this is going to hurt like crazy. But I, I know what I'm doing. And she sets up a temporary splint, gets it wrapped up gets a couple of the guys to cut down two saplings and makes kind of a, a skid, and they, they get Steve down the mountain. I want to talk to you this morning not about healing what that group did, physically broken legs, but I want to talk to you as you're on the journey of life as a believer about healing spiritual broken bones. As I look upon this group, right now every single one of you know a believer. Maybe you're the believer who has spiritually fallen off the path. Maybe you've lagged behind a little bit. Maybe you've suddenly been overtaken and by a fault, by a sin. And you didn't really mean to get into it. It just kind of suddenly happened and you've fallen off the pathway of walking with the Spirit. You've broken your legs spiritually. We want to talk today about what does a group of believers do when some of their members fall into sin. Turn to Galatians chapter 6. 
Because one of the things that the Apostle Paul is talking about is that we need to walk in the Spirit. And we've been challenging over the last several weeks, we've warned you about working in the flesh, about acting in the flesh, and, be, and following immorality, and finding idolatry. Last week I talked to you real strongly about, again, about the occult and drugs and getting involved in that. I've talked to you over the last several weeks about anger and about allowing hatred and a dissentious spirit and dividing up into parties and having all kinds of arguments that happens in our families, happens in our marriages, happens in our churches. Told you that that's an action of the flesh. Then Paul concluded the list talking about orgies. And I, I warned you at Christmas season, be really careful about going to parties where there's a lot of sexual immorality and being ensnared by that and getting too drunk. The truth of the matter is, some of our Midlothian Bible Church family in years past haven't been a good testimony that way. I've taught you, you know, one wine, one glass of wine isn't going to send you to hell. Some of you are going to be teetotalers, some of you are not. But all of you need to be committed not to be under the control of alcohol. You're to be controlled by the Spirit. So that some of you will fall into that sin. Some of you will see that happen. What do you do? That's a spiritually broken leg. Look what the Apostle Paul says we should do in Galatians chapter 6. He starts out by saying, brothers, and all you sisters are included as well. In first century Greek, brothers included sisters as well. So brothers and sisters, don't take offense, sisters, okay? It says, brothers and sisters, if anyone, and in fact, it literally has if a man, and this shows you that it's not. It's, it doesn't mean that just men fall, because ladies fall as well. And it uses the word in Greek here, if a man, it means if anyone. It's an illustration of how they use that language. If anyone is caught... In a sin, the word there, caught, means that you've kind of gotten caught unawares. We're not talking about someone who willfully chooses to arrogantly live in sin. The Apostle Paul, for example, in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, talks about a man that's actually sleeping with his, grand, with his stepmother. And the whole town of Corinth, which is a very licentious city, is upset about it. And the Apostle Paul says that, that the whole church needs to discipline that individual and come out against it because it's polluting the honor of Christ throughout the whole city of Corinth. In 2 Corinthians, Apostle Paul talks about restoring that man, which speaks about this ministry here. The Apostle also speaks about leaders that fall into sin. If you're a leader and you fall into sin, that's going to need to be a public thing because, for example, if I suddenly fall into, you know, say, a, a sin of drunkenness, you see me just plastered along the side of the road, that's going to really influence Midlothian Bible Church. The whole church needs to publicly reprimand me for that. And then I need to be given some time to restore myself, but it needs to be recognized publicly. The Apostle Paul's not talking about that kind of an area. He's also not talking about some of you are just angry all the time. Everything, everybody's always wrong. Every decision is always the wrong decision in your family, in your church family. And the scripture, interesting enough, the Apostle Paul says, rebuke you once, rebuke you twice. And then it says, don't have anything more to do with you. In other words, if you're a contentious, angry person that's trying to divide a church family or trying to divide your own individual family, the scripture says, don't mess around with it. And the Lord's teaching me about that. Because you can spend hours and hours and hours trying to deal with a contentious person. It doesn't get you anywhere. It just gets, you just get more and more away from the goal of climbing towards the goal that the Lord has for you. So in the balance of the New Testament, the Apostle Paul's not talking about the person that's arrogantly living in a sinful state. 
What it's talking about is a whole bunch of you in this room, you really want to follow the Lord. You want to follow the Spirit. You really want to have love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and all those incredible characteristics of the fruit of the Spirit. But as you're climbing up the pathway of life, as we climb this mountain towards heaven, you're like Steve. You lie behind a little bit. You get out of the fellowship of the group. You hit upon a snag, and you break your leg spiritually. You're caught in a trespass. That's what the Apostle Paul is talking about. You're, the word for trespass means it's a beautiful... He, Paul's picking up this imagery. Remember he told us to keep in step with the Spirit? And the word that he uses for sin picks up on that. It means a false step. It means that you take a step in your spiritual life that gets you out of, of sync with the Holy Spirit. You're out of step. You're like the A&M core and the stupid tuba player, third down, had suddenly gotten out of step. He's going to clobber somebody with that big horn. What it says is we don't shoot them. We don't throw them out of the core, but we're to work to get him back in step. That's the picture that's used here. He says, brothers, if someone's caught in an out-of-step thing in their Christian life, They've fallen to sin. And another example of what this would be, that you could have a new believer. They've been sexually immoral. They've been wrestling with pornography all their life. They come to know Jesus. They come to Midlothian Bible Church. They're gloriously saved. They, they have the Holy Spirit come to live in their life. And they're walking in the Spirit. But their wife finds out that they fell back into pornography again. It's not grounds for divorce. It's not grounds to end the whole thing. It doesn't mean everything is over. Just think of your own besetting weaknesses. Just think of your own. You're like, we all like anger might be your besetting weakness and you're struggling in the spirit to overcome it. But then you explode when Texas gets destroyed by Duke in a big basketball game. It doesn't mean it's the end of the line. It doesn't mean that you just stop and that you ax relationship with that person. What do we need to do? And the Apostle Paul tells us what we need to do. We need to look upon it like someone's broken their leg spiritually. And the Apostle Paul gives this instruction. It says, you who are spiritual. Now, who are the spiritual ones? They say, well, I know, told you, Dave, it's the elders in the Middle Bible Church. They're the spiritual ones. Now, that's not what the Apostle Paul said. The Apostle Paul doesn't say that, we're, that we have this elaborate church structure and it's up to the priests and the cardinals and the bishops to handle things. Those who are spiritual, according to the Apostle Paul, are you that are walking the Spirit. This morning, I should be able to call you one of the spiritual ones. I should be able to say that you are walking in the Spirit. That's what the Apostle Paul means by the spiritual ones. In fact, in chapter 3, he said, when you believed in Christ, you became one of the spirited ones, one of the Spirit-filled ones. The moment you receive the Lord Jesus as your Savior, the Holy Spirit came to live in your life. In fact, if the Holy Spirit isn't in your life, then you're not a believer. Romans 8 tells us that. It says if you have not the Spirit, you're none of His. So in the Apostle Paul's theology, every single born-again believer has been baptized with the Spirit. And they're supposed to be one of the spiritual ones. What it means is that you're living connected with the spiritual life that's going to last forever. You're connected with Jesus. Don't create a, a, a big criterion in your life that here are just the normal believers and then here are the believers that are really what they're supposed to be, the spiritual ones. That's a false dichotomy. 
The Apostle Paul thinks of you as a group, as a family, and he wants all of you to be the spiritual ones, which means every single one of you, every single one of you and every single one of us has a responsibility to the person that slips out of our group, that falls into sin, that breaks their leg spiritually. So I want to ask you this morning, are you a spiritual one this morning? Are you in step with the Holy Spirit this morning? Has the Holy Spirit convicted you about something? And have you responded, yes, Holy Spirit, you're right. I take it to the cross of Jesus, and I confess my sin, and I come back into fellowship so that this morning I'm walking with the Lord Jesus again. If you're not, it's time right now to do that. You need to get back in step with the Spirit. Whenever you partake of communion, it's an opportunity to get back in step with the Spirit to evaluate yourself, to test yourself whether or not you're walking consistently in the faith. It's very important. Now, if you are walking with the Spirit, then you have a responsibility. Notice what the Apostle Paul said. He says, those who are spiritual, those who are walking in the Spirit, they are to judge. They are to tell their prayer group in a Spirit-ordained gossip session what this other believer is going to do. Or especially at the beauty parlor, it's time to share it all over Midlothian. Is that what it says? No. You're to judge them. Because if we don't come down hard on this person that's fallen into sin again, if we don't come down hard on this person, all of our kids are going to do it. It's going to spread like cancer throughout the whole church family. So what we need to do is when a believer breaks their leg spiritually, man, just leave them on the path. They can be an example. Steve with a broken leg up in High Peak region of Colorado, man, that'll prove all the stupid guys that lie behind. They'll never do it again. Is that what it says? No. But that's the way you legalists think. Those of you in the group that are legalists, the areas in your life that you don't struggle with, you're very judgmental about. I also want to warn you, some of the areas that you're the most judgmental about are the areas that deep inside are your greatest temptations. The Old Testament story of Judah and Tamar. Judah had relationships with a woman that he thought was a prostitute. It actually was the widow of his sons who under Old Testament law had the right to bear a child in memory of her husband, to carry on her husband's name. But Judah thought he was just going to bed with a prostitute. And when he found out that his daughter-in-law was pregnant, he was ready to kill her. He brought her before all the people and said, let's get her. They're going to strip her, beat her, and stone her. But she takes out Judah's staff. He takes out Judah's signet. And he's caught with his pants down. And he shows you one of the most powerful things of human nature. The things that you judge the strongest, the things that you yell at the most, the things that you're the most critical about are your besetting weaknesses. So watch out. The Apostle Paul says we have a responsibility not to be critical of one another, but to restore one another. When you run back to Steve in the path, you want Beverly to be there that knows what she's doing. How do you gently help somebody? Like I just said, 
You want a nurse, you want a doctor that's not going to jerk that leg around. You've all been to some physicians that act like they could care less and they jerk your leg, it just kills you. They could care less, you know, what they're doing. They might eventually get it right, but there's no feel to what they're doing. You all want to go to a physician that's gentle. The Apostle Paul is saying when someone's fallen into a misstep, what they need is gentleness. Very important. So if you can think of a believer that's fallen into sin, the Apostle Paul is giving us very wise advice. He's saying that you need to be gentle. Let me speak about a big, in in regard to our whole country. When 9-11 happened, some of our Christian leaders said that 9-11 happened because America is a country of unbelief. Was that gentle? And that wasn't even towards believers. That was towards unbelievers. Did that help the cause of Christ? No. You see, it was an image of an Old Testament prophet who, by the way, wasn't speaking to a secular nation. An Old Testament prophet was speaking to a God-ordained theocracy. It's a lot different. And a, and, and a prophet like Isaiah or like Jeremiah was commissioned. They were a direct mouthpiece of God. The United States of America doesn't directly equal Israel. So we need to be very careful the way we deal with unbelievers. And often we're not gentle at all. One of the things I want to pray for in Melothian Bible Church is as our family is growing in its influence and as we're growing in the opportunities that we have, I want you to seize those opportunities because your gentleness in the marketplace, your gentleness in your schools, your gentleness in your places of vocation, your gentleness in reaching out to your unbelieving families is going to be absolutely important and gentleness in reaching out to some of your believing family members that have fallen into sin. It's so important. The second thing the Apostle Paul warns us about is that we need to be very careful not to do it in pride. Notice what he says. We, have, we do it with a spirit of gentleness, but it says, watch out for yourself lest you also be tempted. When you're in this process of restoring spiritual broken bones, As you're dealing with sin, like as you're dealing with struggling marriages, you need to guard your own marriage. As you're dealing with someone in a sexual problem, you need to guard your own thoughts. As you're dealing with someone with anger, you need to be very careful not to be self-righteous and conceited so that you fall into the same temptation and in that same trap. This is a person that has a real clear picture of themselves, which is what the Apostle Paul is going to talk to. In chapter, in verse 2, the Apostle Paul uses an image. He says that we need to carry each other's burdens, and he spreads out his instruction a little bit by saying that we not only carry each other's burdens of sin. So the very first thing I want you to be thinking about today is, are there some believers that you know that have fallen into sin. Maybe it's some believers that used to be in your community group. They used to be in your Sunday school class. They used to be in your youth group. They used to be in your promised land class. They used to be in your Awana team, but now they're not there anymore. They've fallen into a trespass. The scripture is saying that we need to go back up the hill. We need to go and find them. It goes totally against our culture that says you're only responsible for yourself and everyone else is responsible for themselves and everyone can just do their own thing. That's not what the Bible's teaching. We know what the life that yields life is. We know things that will destroy so that we really can help people that have fallen into sin. 
And now it's speaking in a general way of not just carrying each other when we sin, but carrying each other when we face all the burdens. This idea of burdens would refer to sickness. It would refer to financial crises. It would refer to uh, being depressed. All different kinds of burdens this life will throw at us. And contrary to what a lot of preachers might tell you these days, especially in the big media presentations, your life is going to have burdens. Mary and I have great burdens in our life, and it's not because we sin. Courtney wrote a burden. She took Blythe to the library. She has a little baby, and she has a two-year-old, Fiona. And as they try to listen to the story, Fiona is trying to listen. Blythe doesn't even get the story. And Blythe was wiggling, and Fiona started going all over the place. And here's my daughter-in-law with a, with a handicapped child. And the librarian was mean to her. A lot of the other moms are saying, this is, this, you know what? That's hard. That's a burden. Man, I could just picture all of you as moms with three little kids under three. If they're all normal, that's a tough thing, isn't it? And we need to help you carry each other burdens. There shouldn't be a young mother that goes into Brookshire's in our church family. And we watch her carry all these kids. There should be several that reach in there and help. Nobody helped Courtney till she got out to the car. In fact, she even had to leave Fiona in the library, take Blythe, get her strapped down, and finally a young mother said, can I help you? That was like a drink of fresh water. She said, let me watch your child here in the car while you go in and get ready to take care of the rest of the family. That's bearing one another's burden. What an illustration of that. I want to bless you with the church family our church family from the day we started it there's always been funds that flow through to one another i want to bless you in that it's very important to do it correctly according to the irs but i want you to know as long as i'm the pastor teacher i'm going to fight for you all to be able to express your burden carrying financially to one another it's very important for believers to be able to see a need that one of their brothers and sisters have, and to be able to give to that, to be able to meet that need. And I would pray that as we grow, that it's a lot better to be part of Midlothian Bible Church than part of any, you know, any union, better than any any group that you might be a part of, because this is a group where we're really a family. That's all involved in this idea of carry one another's burdens. Very, very powerful verse. So we carry each other not only when we sin, but also in all the things that we do. And that's how we fulfill the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is what we learn in chapter 5. Love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the Apostle Paul is saying, don't put yourself under the law of Moses. Put yourself under the law of Christ. And the law of Christ is not a legal list. It is a new life in the Spirit, is what the Apostle Paul means. Now, if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. Each one should test his own actions. Then he can take pride in himself without comparing himself to someone else. For each one should carry his own instruction. He's also stressing in this verse that we need to carry each other's burdens, but now he's stressing each one should carry, in fact, in verse 4, each one should carry his own burdens. It's the way the Apostle Paul, he has a, a beautiful balance in this. And what I love about God's word is, for example, it will tell us that we need to really care, for example, for widows. 
And one of the things that we're trying to do in our church family is to really care for widows. But you know, in 1 Timothy chapter 5, the Apostle Paul has the audacity of saying if you're a widow and you have a job and you can take care of members of your family and your family also can take care of you, then you're supposed to do that. You say, no, the church is supposed to do that. No. Paul said that the, the, the family should take care of it as they're able. Why? So that the church can give to those that don't have any of that. And we have this balance. And it's very similar. Like when I, if you break your leg, like if Steve broke his leg in the path and Beverly fixes it, and then we take Steve to the hospital and we put it in a cast for a couple months, when the calf comes off, you know what? We don't haul Steve around on a skid. If he's going to seminary, He's going to seminary, and he broke his leg, and we've been carrying him up the stairs for a month. Guess what? When the cat comes off, Steve can walk up the stairs by himself. It's a real balance. There's always this incredibly push and pull in the Scripture. The Lord wants you to become someone who is sufficient in Christ. Not self-sufficient, but Christ-sufficient. The Lord wants you, when you're really broken, to have someone that can meet your needs. But as you begin to walk again, then it's time for you to carry your own load. And one of the great satisfactions you can have is that you can evaluate yourself. The Apostle Paul is talking about a holy pride in these verses. This is one of the few times, but it's a very important idea. In the Apostle Paul, there's a legitimate pride that you have in what you see the Holy Spirit doing in your own, through, through your own life as you submit to the Spirit. The Apostle Paul is saying that none of us should think of ourselves more highly than we ought to think. Romans chapter 12. In other words, I can't do everything in this church family. A lot of you have been under senior pastors that they feel they can do everything, so they run everything. People ask me at times, what about this? I don't know. You'll have to ask so-and-so and so-and-so. And And people look at me, goggle-eyed. You mean you don't know? You're the senior pastor. You're supposed to know. No, I'm not. Because there's some other people in this church family that can do it a whole lot better than I can. You really don't want me trying to keep the books like Kim Lewis. You don't really want me trying to change oil like Bert. There's no way that I can be ready to teach you Galatians 6 if I'm worried about all that, which is what a ton of pastors across our land are doing. They think of themselves more highly than they ought to think. They think everything depends upon them. It doesn't. If I drop over dead... God's kingdom in Midlothian Bible Church just blasts ahead. Probably be marvelous what the Lord will do. Some of my crazy ideas will get out of the way. Don't think of yourself more highly than you ought to think. But think with a sober judgment as the Lord has gifted every single one of us. I do have a role to play. It's very important for me to utilize my gift of teaching and for me to use it under the power of the Spirit and not to ever compare myself to someone else but to always evaluate myself before the Lord. The marvelous illustration of that, Tim Wallace this morning is running the marathon. Tim will run it in great time. You know, maybe he'll run it in three and a half hours and we can cheer him on at the Boston Marathon, which is one of his great dreams. So you you might pray that our youth pastor will really have a great time. It's a great day for it. But you know, Tim would, Tim is gonna be way ahead. But you know, there's a girl running. There's a girl running that used to weigh over 300 pounds. And she has lost about 150 pounds. It's incredible how much weight she's lost. 
and she's running the marathon today. You know what? There's some guys from Kenya that are going to finish at about 2.30, and all the cameras will watch. Tim's going to finish about an hour later, and then that girl's going to come. I want to ask you, who's really fulfilling the marathon, the White Rock Marathon today? Who really can take pride in what they did? A Kenyan that's been running since they were five years old, it's in every gene of their bodies, and, you know, they've got incredible athletic ability. I praise God for that. It's a gift from the Lord. Tim, Tim runs better. I, I could train from now until eternity and never run a long-distance race like Kim. That lady, when she finishes, can just look at what she has done. And when the great king of the universe evaluates all of you spiritually, That's what the Apostle Paul is saying. That lady, when she finishes physically, can take great pride in what she did. And that's not unholy. The Apostle Paul wants all of you to take legitimate pride in the power of the Spirit. As believers, you see, we don't do it through our own self-discipline. We do it through the gift of the Spirit. And that's what these marvelous verses are talking about, that we can take pride in ourselves, not by comparing ourselves to someone else. Pray for me. One of my temptations is to compare myself to what some other pastor's doing or what other Christian leader's going to do. And the Lord's really taught me this week, Dave, don't do that. doesn't make a blot of difference, you know, how you compare yourself to someone else. You see, the Lord had our place to play in the vineyard. And it's marvelous what he's done. And as a church family, you often remind me that. And I want you to know that I rejoice in that this morning. I really rejoice. I just rejoice in what the Spirit of God is doing among you. I don't need to think of myself more highly than I ought to think. But I really do need to realize the Holy Spirit's gifted me to teach, and I need to spend the rest of my life letting the Lord develop that gift and letting him use it wherever he wants to use it. And then I need to evaluate whether I'm really doing that the way Dave Wurtzen's supposed to be doing it. How about you? Don't think of yourself more arrogantly than you ought to think. You need to think with a sober judgment. Play your part in the body of Christ. And I want every one of you to realize you're valuable in the team. We really need you. Every one of you have a part to play. The Apostle Paul says in verse 6, anyone who receives instruction in the word must share all good things with the one uh, who is instructing them. Marvelous balance. A great Sunday to talk about that. I'm going to be totally unashamed. One of the most beautiful things that you've done in the church family is when Mary and I first started out here, A team of leaders said, we want you to teach us the word and you won't starve. You teach us the word and we'll give you vegetables. That's literally what they said. We'll give you a garden. And I said to them, well, you know, I'm I'm tutoring in math and I'm teaching guitar lessons and Mary's working for a plastic surgeon. As the church family grows and you're able to free us up to dedicate more time to the church, then we'll be able to do that. And the leadership was very committed to that. Those of you that are responsible for teaching the word, your responsibility is to be like Paul. In fact, the Apostle Paul had a heart. He didn't like to take any funds. And so if you're a pastor teacher or if you're in full-time ministry, if you work as a missionary, it's very important to not have a legal attitude about it. It's a loving attitude about it. Your responsibility is to teach the word and not to make it a business. It isn't a business. Paul uses the word koinonia, a fellowship, a sharing. Now I want to switch gears. It says, though, but if you've received the word 
If you receive the word, like this morning as I'm teaching you, the Holy Spirit uses it to help you know life, then you're responsible for supporting this body of believers. It's very important to do that. And it should be a sacred thing that you have. Don't ever, don't ever tease a pastor about finances. That hurts him more than anything else. The Apostle Paul himself was really uptight about taking funds. And so I just want to teach you that the Bible has a beautiful, beautiful balance in this. It says, I'm responsible, and all of those that are freed up to give their life, they're responsible for teaching you the Word. Very important. The content has to be the Word. And Jesus is the Word, and then Jesus reveals his sacred scriptural work. So I want to share with you, the church family, if a pastor, teacher, or any one of your teachers stops teaching you the Word, you would draw funds. Some of you have been in denominations for years where you actually gave money where the word was communistic socialism. Really? You would give money that supported guys on the East Coast that I knew were in New York pushing causes that you totally disagree with. Some of you give to universities. The university doesn't teach at all what it taught when you, were, when you went there. And you don't even know it. That's wrong. Don't do that. Marvin Olasky talked about that in World Magazine this week. Don't give to causes that aren't consistent with the word. But if you know an organization, a church, individuals are really committed to the word, then you should get behind them financially. You should support them, and you should never... In fact, one of the greatest things you can do is you ever hear someone presenting their burden of ministry, and they seem embarrassed about it, you get on them for that. Because I've never seen... No one's embarrassed about collecting money for the University of Texas so we can be first in the country in football. I've never seen it, you know, them contacting alumni for A&M. No, I'm embarrassed to call you, you know, A&M. I, you know, we just thought maybe you might want to help out a little bit. But it's really sad that I have to call you. They don't tell you that. They say, man, you're an A&Mer. You got it in your blood. Come on, your blood's pumping purple stuff out. Give. That's the attitude the Apostle Paul had. As people teach you the word, then you have the great joy of meeting their needs. Paul closes with a great farming illustration. He says, what you sow, you're going to reap. He says, if you sow to the Spirit, you're going to reap eternal life. If you sow to the flesh, you're going to be sown in a different field, and it's going to yield death. The Apostle Paul believes very positively about the Galatians. He says, I'm convinced that you're going to be devoted to doing every good thing, especially the good thing for the body of Christ. As we close this series on the fruit of the Spirit, what's really important is what field are you planting in? What field are you planting in? Are you planting the seeds of your life and the seeds of the flesh? Are you just thinking about this present life, this present fleshly life? It's going to all dissolve. Are you thinking just about your own birth, your own particular position in business? That's all the flesh. Specifically, the flesh are those actions of the flesh that we looked at in Galatians 5. That immorality, that idolatry, that anger, drunkenness, all that kind of stuff, etc. Or are you sown to the Spirit? And my prayer is that because we've looked at the book of Galatians, that the Holy Spirit is going to powerfully make us to be growing. They're going to, we're going to walk together 
into a field that's going to produce incredible harvest of love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness and goodness, faithfulness, faithfulness, that we're going to endure in this, a sweet gentleness, and then we're going to have Christ's control, not self-control, but Christ's control. Let's pray. We close our time in prayer. I just want to ask you, you can just meditate on this as we close the service. Which group are you in at this moment? The spiritual ones who are not self-righteous, but are presently under the control that's been in their lives? Or are you controlled by that old sin nature? Why don't this morning, why don't you turn and be controlled by the power of the Spirit? As you're praying quietly, think of a family member, a friend, an associate at work, someone that might be a believer, but they've recently fallen into sin. I challenge you to pray about this passage and seek to restore this fallen brother or sister and allow the Holy Spirit to enable you to be like Beverly in the story I started out with that gently sets not a physically broken bone, but a spiritually broken bone. Think about what what keeps you from trying to restore a fellow brother. Many of you are in study groups, Sunday school classes, small group Bible studies that meet at all hours of the day. The greatest thrill for me as a pastor at Midlothian Bible Church is to walk into a restaurant and see you huddled together studying God's word and to see members of other church families that have followed that same example. Some of you could do some really great things. Some of you have already done some incredibly important things to help encourage. Your notes encourage Mary and I almost every week. Your words, your hugs. And as our church staff grows with other pastors coming, I'm so thankful for the way that you have allowed other gifted men and women to become part of us. And you've poured out your love. At Christmas season, this is a great time for us to be able to share good things with those that teach us the good things of God's word. And not do it reluctantly, but do it with joy. Then finally, what you are this morning, what you are this morning, you're becoming what you're going to be 10 years from now. What field are you planning in? As you look at your life right now, you're now becoming what you're going to be in 10 years. The Apostle Paul expels out this principle. If we really have found Jesus, he changes our life. What the Apostle Paul is saying is that coming to Jesus and having a new life of Jesus doesn't eliminate the need for an ethical, moral life. The Holy Spirit produces Christ-like character. But he does it by grace, not by law. So this morning is the time for us to evaluate which field have we been planted in this week and for us to turn to the Holy Spirit and allow him to produce the fruit of a Christ-like righteous character in our life. Dear Lord Jesus, I thank you so much that you've taught us in this passage how we can heal spiritually broken bones. I want to pray that because of what we learned from Galatians 6, that in the coming days there will be some brothers and sisters in Christ who have some incredibly gifted, gentle, spirit-filled believers that restore them and get them back on the path of walking with you again. In Jesus' holy name we pray. Amen. 
For more information on materials available through Truth Encounter, please write to us at Truth Encounter, Box 580, Midlothian, Texas, 76065, or you can contact us on the web at www.truthencounter.com. Our telephone number is 1-888-668-7884.